0: Well, if you've been here this year at all, and if not, we're really glad you're here. It's good to see you. But if you've been here this year, then you have heard the word, you've heard the name, you've heard the title, Antichrist. And so, uh, just again, not to take anything for granted. I do want you to be in Daniel 9. I'm just going to read, and this will be on the screen. We've heard this word multiple times this year, Antichrist, in our study of apocalyptic Daniel and Revelation. Let me read to you for just a moment 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers... Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And here it is not the word Antichrist, but nevertheless, and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember, Paul writes to these believers in Thessalonica, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Thank you, Aaron. Well, again today, Again, today, we want to keep that in mind, and that just gives us some, some new covenant, some New Testament contexts for not what is the main subject today, but for something that we're thinking about time and again. I want, to, I want you to think about something. I guess you could say imagine something with me here for just a moment. Imagine a, a Christian believer uh, who is having uh, his, his quiet time. What's that? That's that's kind of Christianese, right? Quiet time, or or she's having her personal devotions, or we could say private worship. So just imagine our uh, this fellow believer, and he or she is enjoying some private worship, some some private communion with the Lord. Our fellow believer in this case uh, on this particular day happens to be reading uh, the book of Romans, chapter 8, the great 8. And as he is uh, communing with the Lord, by the way, you know, if you ever have someone say, you know, the Lord spoke to me, the appropriate response might be to say, well, what part of the Bible were you reading? (laughs) Because in uh, personal... Quiet time. It's not a mystical thing. It's engaging with God through his word and in prayer based on the word. And, and so our, our visual right here is this Christian believer. The reading for the day is in the great eight, Romans chapter eight. And they're reading, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. and just enjoying uh, the Scripture reading, and it it prompts this believer to pray. As they're reading verse 21, as they're reading about this hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory, and this believer begins to pray and to take the Word of God and to pray the Word of God and the promises of God back to God. Do you see? And so this believer begins to pray, Lord, would you let this day come soon? Lord, would you bring in the day soon according to your purposes so that the, so that the creation itself would enjoy the freedom of the children of God and be set free from decay and bondage? Lord, I, I, I read here that for now it is subject to futility But Lord, would you bring in the day of the new heavens and the new earth? And would you let what I am reading about here, maybe this believer's reading Romans 8, and it prompts her to pray about something that's not even explicitly in the text. Or maybe she prays directly according to the text. As we look at our scripture today, look again at Daniel chapter 9. And look at verse 3. Look at Daniel 9, verse 3. Daniel says this, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You could title the sermon this morning, One of the Great Prayers of the Bible, Part 1. One of the great prayers of the Bible, part one. I'm, I'm going to repeat myself in verse three. Daniel says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, but I left out a word there. It's the first word of verse three. Do you see? He says, Then I turn my face to the Lord God. Then when? When's the then? This is very simple, uh, friends. This is very simple. Daniel, uh, the prayer itself begins in verse 4 and goes through verse 19, but he says that he prays in verse 3. Very simple. It's one of the great prayers of the Bible. But my question again in verse 3 is, when did he turn to God in prayer? Well, verse 2 tells us it's when he was reading the Scripture. It's when he was having his time of private worship perhaps or or Bible study. we're going to see that it was when he was reading uh, from the book of Jeremiah and as he was having intake of the Bible, as he was practicing that great spiritual discipline of Bible intake, it was then it was then that he was prompted, Based on what he was reading, he was prompted to pray on behalf of the people of God. Now, this is one of the great prayers of the Bible, as I say. It's God's kindness that he's given us words. You know, there are great prayers scattered throughout the scripture. And and my Christian friend, what does that mean? It means there are examples of prayer. It means there are templates of prayer in the Bible. It means that words are given to us. Uh, Another example of a great prayer in the Bible, this is one that I've been praying uh, for us. Here's one I've been praying for Crossway Church. It's when Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's another one of those great prayers that's been on my mind for us that our love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Well, we want, to, uh, we want to stick our toe into the pool of Daniel chapter 9 this morning. And then, Lord willing, come back to it and really look at the prayer. But this morning, stick our toe into the pool of Daniel chapter 9 and... And also consider Daniel chapter 8. So what would be the big idea for all of this? We're looking at Daniel chapter 8 and just a little bit of Daniel chapter 9. What would be the big idea? It would be this. If God is truly great and awesome, if the Lord is truly great and awesome, and He is, then we should pray to Him in light of an uncertain world and in light of our own sin. Let me say that again. This is the big idea. If the Lord is truly great and awesome, and he is, then we should pray to him in light of what may seem like an impossible future in this world and in light of our own sin. So let's take those two things. I just said that we should pray to the Lord in light of our own sin, but first of all, in light of an uncertain world. So we're praying this morning in our, in our prayer time this morning, of course, mentioning an uncertain world now, the Ukraine and Russia. But let's take uh, chapter 8 for just a moment, and let's think about praying to God in light of an uncertain world. Think about this with me. This is chapter 8. In light of what may seem like to us as believers, in light of of what may seem like an impossible future, look at the last verse again at chapter 8. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now, look real quick back at the last verse of chapter 7. Last verse of chapter 7, verse 28. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed but I kept the matter in my heart. Our friend, our brother Daniel,'s not doing so well, is he? When you take these bookends to chapter eight, the last verse of chapter seven, the last verse of chapter eight, look at it again. I was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision. I did not Our, our brother Daniel, his color has changed. He's lying in bed sick. He's perplexed. He's given some understanding, but he says, I don't understand it. You see the bookends. So, so what goes on in between these two things of our bedridden friend Daniel here? What goes on in chapter 8? Well, in Daniel chapter 8, let me try to keep it at least somewhat brief in this high-flying overview. In Daniel chapter 8, Daniel has a vision of a ram and of a goat, Okay. Daniel has a vision of a ram, a goat, and then a little horn. I say, what? what in the world? Remember, remember, apocalyptic is literary shock treatment, right? But forget the little horn for just right now. Just, just, we'll keep it simple, right? Daniel in chapter 8 has a vision of a ram and of a goat. Now, this vision of a ram that Daniel has This ram we see is great. It's a great beast. It's a great ram, and it's seemingly invincible. Now, all of us here being in our right minds, when we think about a ram, our minds naturally go to that most superior basketball institution, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And the pack fans decided to link the goat with the wolf pack, who later overtakes the ram, perhaps. But this ram, Daniel sees this ram, this seemingly invincible ram, only to see this impenetrable beast, and then comes this goat. It's described in Daniel chapter 8, this goat is described as not being up in the air, but flying, as it were, with its feet not touching the ground. It's just this goat is hovering above the ground. And when the goat and the ram collide, so to speak, There's no competition. The ram, which, which it seemed like nobody would be able to beat the ram, the ram is defeated pretty easily by the goat. And the goat destroys the ram. Remember the big picture. What did we say is the big idea? If the Lord God is truly great and awesome, and he is, then we should pray to God in light of an uncertain world. Listen, in light of an uncertain world that may include persecution for His people and uh, chapter 9 in light of our own sin. What's going on in chapter 8? I would say that in Daniel chapter 8, the Lord God is preparing His people. He's preparing His people for what is to come. We're going to read just a bit here in just a minute. In Daniel chapter 8, he's giving them a knowledge of the future. It's an impartial knowledge of the future. Even Daniel, even Daniel, who's a who's a seer, who's able to divine mysteries, even Daniel at the end of this says, I got it, but I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. What the Lord is doing is the same thing that he does for us. He gives us, listen, he gives us a knowledge of the future enough, even though it's an impartial knowledge, and even though we don't fully understand, He gives us enough to know that we can trust Him, that we can trust Him, and that we can be prepared and not taken off guard. Now look at verse 15. Look at verse 15 in Daniel chapter 8. Remember, this is a vision of the ram and the goat. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice, Daniel eight sixteen, between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Daniel is here called a son of man in verse 17, which means a man. And in chapter 7, we see one like a son of man who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel 8, 18. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now, notice this. Look at verse 20. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, what was that all about? These are the kings of Media and Persia. This actually gets very specific here. Daniel 7 is great general truths. This gets really specific. And the goat, verse 21, is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, verse 24, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction." and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. Let me pause right there for just a moment. Do you know the Bible is the word of God? The Bible is the very word of God. We sometimes give it that adjective, it is the inerrant word of God. That means that there are no errors in this God-breathed word. Now, the Bible, listen to me, is not a history book the way we think about a history book. But when the Bible touches on matters of history, it remains what it is, which is the word of God without error. And so what I'm saying to you is I think we can say pretty clearly is that because of the specific interpretation given here, which is not always given in the second half of Daniel, because I think this is pretty cool. You may not. I don't know. But because of the specific interpretation, Daniel chapter 8 is talking about a guy named Alexander the Great. You ever heard of Alexander the Great? I think that's pretty cool. Now, his name is not mentioned here. There's two A's. There's two key A's here. So I'm going to try to keep this this brief here. There's two key A's in Daniel chapter 9. The greatest bad guy, the key character in Daniel chapter 8, sorry if I said 9 earlier, the key in Daniel chapter 8, well, is first of all, it's God. But the key character, the key bad guy is a guy named Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes. But hold that thought for a second. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Apparently, there's still military institutions around the world today teaching his tactics and his strategies. You may know a little bit about him. If you don't, that's okay. He died, we might say prematurely, at the age of 33. I think it was in 323 BC was when He died. He conquered basically the known world. And so when Daniel has this vision, and when this one like a man says to Gabriel here in Daniel chapter 8, Gabriel, give him the interpretation. Gabriel gives him the interpretation. And basically what he says, here it is. He says the ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. By the way, this hadn't happened yet, right? In Daniel's time. This is the word of God. Friends, God knows everything. The Lord God knows everything. He's able to predict the future because it's His purposes that will unfold. And it's His purposes that sometimes seem uh, inscrutable to us. Why? But He has His purposes. And and Gabriel says the, the ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. And why am I talking about Alexander the Great? of macedonia because of the greek empire because the goat represents the king of greece and it has to be alexander the great because it describes here this this goat and this obvious horn in the head of the goat did you see that this horn and then alexander the great after conquering basically the known world dies at age 33 and four empires arise in light of him. You see what it said there? Verse 22, As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four other horns arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. By the way, that is uh, precisely what happened. Macedonian with the Greek Empire. In In the spiritual movie White Christmas, Major General Thomas Waverly said to his housekeeper, I got along very well in the army without you. And Emma Allen, his housekeeper, says, It took 15,000 men to take my place. And here, uh, Alexander is this, uh, he's pictures of this goat who's coming so fast. He's coming with such swiftness. I mean, he's, he takes over for his father who's murdered and he takes over at age 20 and then he begins to, to implement these plans, some of which were his father's and he, he begins to conquer the known world and it's as though his feet aren't even on the ground. He, he just moves with such swift speed. He's so great. He was really great. I submit to you, Daniel chapter eight talks about Alexander the Greats. He's so great it took four men uh, to take his place. It took four men to take his place. His empire upon his death is divided up into four different empires. Four different generals take over four parts of what used to be Alexander's empire. And then as you get to the latter part of Daniel chapter 8, you get this man who seems, listen, he seems to prefigure the Antichrist. And this is not Alexander. Alexander but you get this other man whose name begins with an A, and he seems to prefigure the Antichrist. He comes from this kingdom. There's Alexander, and then there's four. You've heard of perhaps the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, and he comes from one of these four, this man named Antiochus Epiphanes. I did want to give a little bit of history. This is not merely for our information. The Word of God is... True truth as it speaks to history, but the word of the purpose of the word of God, listen, the purpose of the word of God is to know God and to know Jesus Christ and to enjoy him forever and to put your faith in God through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose for which the Bible was given. But when it speaks to these matters, it's amazing how it speaks beforehand. And so comes this man. Who called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus the Fourth, the appearing of a god, the appearing of a god. As I say, he prefigures the Antichrist. Verse twenty-four: His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Just remember, just remember, these are puppets. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. If you know anything, if you've ever heard the name of Antiochus, he was ruthless to the Jews. He was ruthless to them. No wonder Daniel's color changed. No wonder he's lying sick in his bed. Why? Because what he's seeing with the ram and the goat, which is interpreted very specifically, he's seeing a what? He's seeing a future for his people, which will not be fun. He sees a future for his people, which will not in any way be fun. Verse 25, by his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great, right? He's a megalomaniac. In his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. Who's that? God, right? The audacity. do this to god which we actually all do apart from grace and he shall be broken but not by but by no human hand the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now what's the what's the lord doing in daniel chapter 8 Let's say he's doing John 16. Don't turn there, just listen. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Did you catch that? What Jesus said to his disciples? I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Do you know the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? That's true knowledge. That's eternal life. Wicked people, even in the name of God, will persecute the people of God. Why? Because they don't know the Father nor the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have said these things, John 16, 4, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I've said it a couple times already this year to be forewarned is to be forearmed to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So it was a kindness of God. We may ask, we may very well ask, why would God allow these terrible atrocities to come upon his people? with a truly wicked and brutal and ruthless man like Antiochus Epiphanes, who was ruthless to the Jews, absolutely ruthless. Why? Well, we don't know all the answers, do we? But we know that we can trust him and we see his kindness in that he forewarns his people. Listen, here's how I want to say it. God is in control and he rules over all. He is the Lord of history. Therefore, his people can trust him even when we face an uncertain future. God is in control and he rules over all. He is the Lord of history. Therefore, his people can trust him even when we face an uncertain future. If the Lord God is truly great and awesome then we should pray to him in light of uncertainty in the world chapter 8 and in light of our own sin chapter 9 look again at verse 27 of chapter 8 I Daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days then I rose and went about the king's business but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. We've seen chapter 8. Let's briefly stick our toe into one of the great prayers of the Bible, which is Daniel chapter 9. Look at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then, verse 3 of chapter 9, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We see here prayer based on promises. Promises. We see here prayer to a great and awesome God. Now, it is not my purpose today uh, to get much at all into the actual prayer. But for just a moment, let's just a moment get into the actual prayer, which is verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. You could say that at the heart of this prayer, which unfolds all the way through verse 19, you could say that the heart of it is confession. Daniel's, Daniel's prayer on behalf of his people. Well, it's not only confession because he's a, he ascribes righteousness and glory to God. And just what I want to say very briefly based on verse 4 is that it is okay and fine. You can, you can run to God with your problems and just cry out immediately for help. Listen, you can unburden yourself to the Lord, but we need need to know the God to whom we pray. Prayer has everything to do with the God to whom we pray. So Davis uh, relays the story of uh, Lyndon Johnson, who at the time of this particular story was vice president of the United States under John Kennedy, and for some reason he was on Capitol Hill, and Lyndon Johnson at this particular time, vice president of the United States, he, he grabbed a reporter who was there on Capitol Hill, and he said, you, I've been looking for you. And he pulls this man into his office, and Lyndon Johnson was physically an imposing man, and his personality was also imposing. He was a man with a great personality. He just began to dominate the conversation with this man. He just began to just talk, 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 and, and he starts writing and scribbling a note to his secretary He's still talking to this man and sends the note with his secretary. She comes back a few minutes later and gives him the note and he wads it up and throws it in the trash. Later, this reporter was actually able to figure out what Lyndon Johnson wrote on the note. And what he wrote was to his secretary, who is this man to whom I'm speaking? You remember earlier, he had said to the man, you, I'm looking for you. And Davis comments and says here in verse 4 that we need to know the God to whom we're speaking. This is not acceptable. It's not acceptable in prayer merely to come to God and merely to unburden ourselves and merely to look at Him as some type of genie. But He says, What? Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God, is there a place in our prayers for adoration, for worship? I think most of you, I think it would be safe to say, know the verse, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. As we consider verses 1 through 3 here, we see in verse 3 that Daniel turned his face to the Lord and prayed. This was fervent prayer. He wasn't playing games. This was fervent prayer by prayer and pleas for mercy. Why did he do this? Because of verse 2. Look at it again. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. We know so much on this side of the cross and the resurrection. We are so blessed. We know so much. Just, just think about where Daniel is here, though. Think about what he does not know. And as he's reading the books, as he's reading the scrolls, as he's reading the word of God, listen to what he reads. Listen to Jeremiah verse 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You hear that? You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the... Daniel's reading Jeremiah 29. And he doesn't know nearly as much as we know. And he realizes he's in his 80s at this point. Please get this picture. He's in his 80s. This is what verse one's all about in Daniel 9, this first year of Darius. And he begins to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Babylonian Empire is coming, has come to an end. The Babylonian Empire is coming to an end. And I'm reading here in Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11. And I'm reading in Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, which is also a key passage. Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12. And I'm reading this, and God promised, God prom- the sovereign God promised that after 70 years of his people being in exile, you know what exile is, right? It's being banished from your home because of sin. That's exile. You're banished from your home because of sin. And God promised it would be 70 years. Can you imagine? He's thinking, it's been 70 years. I came here as a teenager. Now I'm in my 80s. The Babylonian empire has crumbled around me. And now it's the first year of Darius. Darius. And so what does he do? He gives us an example that the promises of God should prompt prayer. If you know God, then you know that you can take his promises to the bank. Corinthians says, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for Daniel and so for us, the promises of God should be brought back to God by us in prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is not you becoming some awesome prayer warrior. Prayer is taking the word of God back to God and speaking to him, speaking to the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, who alone is the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, as I said earlier, there are many great prayers in the Bible. My fellow believer, have you prayed this prayer? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a great prayer in the Bible. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 that I mentioned earlier, Paul prays that your love would abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment. That's a great prayer in the Bible. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, may I suggest this prayer from Luke chapter 18. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a great prayer of the Bible. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for the sake of Jesus Christ who died on the cross in my place, who rose again, who is coming. Receive me, O Lord, for the sake of your son, for the sake, for his sake. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This this is a great prayer of the Bible. In Daniel chapter nine, this prayer, verse three, was prompted by verse two as he's simply reading the word, which by the way, just speaks to the simple awesome profound nature of bible intake when by the grace of god you make bible intake a part of your life through hearing the word of god preached with other people through reading with your spouse or a friend or with your family through private the word of god is explosive you see he's reading the bible and he sees this it's been it's been 70 years This is exactly what Jeremiah was talking about. And he doesn't say. God is God. He made this promise. It's going to happen. That's true. But the Christian says, I take your promise and I bow my knee and I pray to you in light of your promise. I bring your promise back to you. Oh, God, have mercy on us. We are a sinful people. Do not deal with us as our sins deserve. In the first year of his reign, verse 2, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. If, If the Lord is a great and awesome God, and he is, then we should pray to him in light of an uncertain world that may also include our persecution and in light of our own sin. If the Lord is a great and awesome God, and he is, then we should pray to him. Jesus said to every would-be follower, I saw this the other day, this helpful. Jesus never said, accept me into your heart. Jesus said, follow me. He said to every would-be follower, you will have some degree of suffering. You will have some degree of suffering. That's Daniel chapter 8. Things temporarily are going to get really bad. But I am God. You can trust me. You can know ahead of time. And we pray to God in light of our own sin. And we thank God that He has given us great prayers of the Bible, even the prayer of our Lord Jesus in John 17. Let's pray together now. Let's bow our heads and take a brief moment of silence. O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We could join these very words and say that we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And yet, for all those who are in Christ, we are called saints through Jesus. We thank you for his cross, for your love, Father, for you bearing the wrath, Lord Jesus, that we deserve. Thank you that you are our substitute. May we trust in you. May we pray to you. Thank you that you are interested in us staying on the track, in us staying on the course Thank you that you will keep us. We will not keep ourselves. Let us give attention to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.